Hi everybody and welcome to the first ever European Football Index podcast brought to you by the World Football Index. God, that's a mouthful. Uh, anyhow, what the idea is, we had lost a few pods uh, during the close season around Europe, so we decided we'd just put a one show covers all podcast out there for you. And today we're going to take a bit of a look at the Champions League, and if we have a bit of time left at the end, uh, we might even take a look at what the madness of the transfer window thus far. Joining me on the pod today, uh, you third time on WFI, he has a pod out there at the minute, he's just written a book on Northern Ireland football called Gunshots and Goalposts, delighted to have back uh, Ben Roberts. Ben, how are you today? I'm very well, thanks Dave. The, uh, the the podcast on the books doing rather well. Hopefully, uh, we can we can get the the message out there. Uh, it was released yesterday. I'm sure you're very excited. I'm um, indeed. Yep, uh, sales seem to be going well so far. So, yep, uh, gunshots and goalposts. Indeed, and well, another voice that you've probably have heard on WFI. First time I'm speaking to this lady. I'm very happy to that's the case. Uh, we have Laura Bradburn in Glasgow. Uh, she's made a few appearances on Syria, as I say. Uh, how are you today, Laura? All well. I'm not too bad. Uh, thanks very much for having me on. It's it's good to be here. Well, you you can get to talk about your team and everything. You're you're a big big Celtic fan, I believe. I am for my sins. Yeah, uh, some good things and bad things about it. But yeah, if if you give me an opportunity to talk about them, I'd be happy to do so. That's a big firm hater. I I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so listen, we'll move forward and, and get into the Champions League draw, uh, which took place last week. And we'll take a run around the groups here, uh, first of all. And in Group A, we have Benfica of Portugal. We have uh, a team from Manchester, uh, United from England. Uh, we have Baal and we have CSK Moscow. Ben, I'll come to you first. Uh, a, few, a few have said there's quite an easy draw for United. You know, Moscow, I think, are, are, are an interesting side in this, gr- in this group as well. So, you know, Russian football sort of on the up at the minute with the World Cup coming and everything, and I think they'll be they'll be keen to put a good show in maybe in the Champions League this year. They they will be. I think Seska could be um, uh, the sort of dark horse and interesting option in this group. Um, it is a, a very appears on the surface to be a very favourable draw for United, um, and that may well turn out to be the case. Um, but I think it's probably not one from the reaction. That I've seen that their fans are necessarily um, overjoyed about United for the last. I mean, obviously they had a couple of seasons out, um, but um, the times that they've qualified in the last twelve years, they've tended to have groups without uh, many big hitters in. Um, and I think the fans going to Old Trafford um, every other week, they they would have liked another another major team in there. Um, which, which they haven't got this time. Certainly not, um, uh, you know, a team the size of, uh, you know, even a Atletico, um, but somebody that that was a, a real draw. Um, and that away trip to to Moscow um, is probably not not one that Mourinho is going to be particularly happy about either. Well, I don't think anybody in this podcast will be crying too many tears from <laughs> judging by our pre-pod. <laughs> Laura, yourself, uh, United sort of got, got it quite easy. But I say the Moscow thing, Baal can come up with, with the odd result as well. And Benfica are no slouches. But on the surface, you know, when, when you look at this, um, you know, I know we spoke pre-pod about United and how good they've looked to the season so far in, in three games of the play going into the break. But they could be tested a little bit more, I feel, in this group. But Again, you know, looking at it on paper, you know, your head would sort of look towards uh, Moscow and Manchester. Certainly, as as you guys said before, that 
looking at the teams that they could have got and, and the whole draw in its entirety, it's probably one of the easier ones on paper, but the, the travel is going to be a big a big issue for them going away to Moscow, particularly for the league uh, at home after they come back off that. They will be tired and you would imagine they'll be using their squad to its full potential to try and overcome any issues with that. But just looking at the, the group more in general, I mean... Talking about Benfica not being any slouches, Moscow and Basel, you know, the three of them in comparison to Manchester United, they've all been very much regular in the Champions League over the past decade or so. So they do have experience within their teams of how to handle a group stage. As much as Manchester United will probably feel they're the only big team, the other three in there will probably feel like they've each got a chance to nab that second spot, you know, and we'll all be looking to try and get to the last 16. So they've all got motivation there and that'll probably make them even harder to deal with. Indeed they will. And, and Ben, yourself, I take it, you know, put you on the spot, it's it's the, the Moscow and Manchester that will go through out of this one, you know, as, as you look at it today. I would imagine so, yes. I think Benfica might be the other challenger there. Um, I have to admit, I don't know too much about Baal. If I was to, to put a modest amount of money on it, I would I would suggest that it would probably be uh, United and Seska um, that progressed from that group. Well, listen, we'll move on into Group B, and I'm obviously going to come to Laura on this when we see uh, Bayern Munich, Paris Saint-Germain, Anderlecht, and Celtic. Uh, a bit of a nightmare draw for, for you there, Laura. Honestly, I put my hand in my heart. It comes down to, to maybe Europa League qualification here and, and good Real good performances at home against the two big boys in this one. Paris Saint-Germain, this window, have gone nuts with money, as, as we discussed earlier. And, you know, Bayern Munich are Bayern Munich. And, you know, realistically, what is your aspirations from this group? I think, as you said, being a realistic Celtic fan, or I like to think of myself as one, we can't really expect in any good real sense to, to challenge either Paris Saint-Germain or Bayern Munich for those top two spaces. To be honest, if we can come away from the games against those two and not be quite as embarrassed as we were by Barcelona last season, I think we lost 7-0 last season. Um, If we can come away from those uh, ties with Bayern and Paris Saint-Germain with our dignity intact, I think we'll be doing well. Um, Anderlecht's a bit of a, a different proposition. They haven't been in the haven't been in the Champions League since 2015, I don't think. They've obviously lost um T Elements, who was a big player for them who's gone to Monaco. Um so they do have a little bit less firepower. He had 18 goals from midfield last season. So they're missing some of their bigger players. Um and definitely, as is always the case with Celtic, there's always a potential we can definitely get points at home, but it'll be trying to improve our away record that's going to be the the major factor here and I think like you say our main aim will be to try and get third place and if we can do that and have football after Christmas we'll be more than happy yeah and you know you have turned up look we would talk again pre-pod about about the big atmosphere there at Celtic Park and you know you have your standing area it's a real proper football stadium the possibility does exist that you can you can get an upset there and, and certainly Paris Saint-Germain sometimes on the road can be you know, they can be got at is really European League the best you can hope for? Or is there a dream there amongst Celtic fans of maybe just sneaking it? I think financially, for any team that gets to the last 16, that would be that would be preferable because you'll get another big cash injection. Um, and there's always that feeling with Celtic, like you say, that with three home games at a stadium that is synonymous around Europe for being difficult to, to come to, 
there's always that chance that we can nick the, the odd point here or there um, and, and cause an upset. Um, but for me personally, I'm not speaking for all Celtic fans, but I actually don't necessarily want us to go to the to the last 16 because I think if we manage to do that and it would be near a miracle, we'll probably get a draw where we've got absolutely no cho- ch- chance of getting any further. I would like to see us drop down into the Europa League where we've not had a lot of play in the last few seasons. We've improved a lot in the last year or so. I'd like to see us really test our metal against teams that are probably a little bit more our level in the in the Europa League, having had that kind of glamour tie with Bayern and, and Paris Saint-Germain in the first half of the season. No, indeed. And, you know, I'll, I'll come to you, Ben, on this one. Again, we, we spoke a little bit pre-pod, um, you know, about Paris Saint-Germain and, and the amount of money that, that they have spent in this particular window. Do you feel that, given all of that, that, you know, there'll be there'll be a massive pressure on them, surely? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, they're, they're really, you know, uh, they lost 2 or 3-0 to Bayern in, in one of those games. That would... Um, be a disaster for them, even if they went through as the second place team, because this is this is really now. You know, I think it's six years post um, Qatari takeover now, um, and and this is a team that that is really set its aspirations to be the biggest team in Europe or up there with with Madrid, and and they'll certainly want to get one over on Barcelona. Um, so to to not top that group and put themselves in in the best position that they can, and just from a sort of uh, reputational point of view as well, to to kind of try and show Europe and the world um, who they are um, and who they want to be. Um, so you know there is going to be that, and and they've got a lot of a lot of new players there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I, I'm not sure. I, I think they're with with most of the bookies, they're third favourites to win uh, the Champions League. I think that's unrealistic, Ben. Surely you you know very unrealistic um, because this this is a team that. You know, he's, he's going to be gelling together this season and, and you know, very nearly um, sacked the manager last season. They really need um, to to sort of bed down and, and find that consistency. And I can quite imagine uh, in in two years' time, in three years' time, um, PSG being serious contenders um, for the Champions League. And, you know, with football being football, you know, they could they could do it this year, but I wouldn't have them down as from in, in my book anyway as as um even third favorites um which I, th- I think you know most bookies have them ahead of Bayern um and I think Bayern um have got far greater chance of progressing all the way to the final um and and succeeding there no certainly the pedigree of Bayern so moving on into group C uh we have Chelsea from England Atletico Madrid of Spain Roma of Italy and Karabag, which if you're Azerbaijani, I apologise. I'm sure I have butchered that, but you look on the bright side. You want to hear me in Portuguese? <laughs> You've got Karabag right, but uh, it's Aziri, not Azerbaijani. There we go. Oh, uh, this is the the first time that an Aziri team has uh, has made it into the into the group stages. So it's um, it's quite a big deal, really. Um, I think uh, Karabag had a, a game. Uh, perhaps about 16 years ago in one of the qualifying phases against 
oh, it might be against Barcelona or something, and they they got absolutely walloped. Um, so they've they've come on quite a lot in the last decade or so. So welcome to the Champions League. Yeah, I actually saw them qualify against Copenhagen. I saw, I think, majority of both games, and you know they they did all right. A team I know, I I'm, I fully admit, as you've just heard, I know absolutely nothing about. But you know Chelsea again against Atletico Madrid, Laura, and and then you have Roma, which obviously you would have an eye on involved in that group as well. This is a tasty mm. group, this one. Yeah, it is. I think um, certainly Chelsea and, and Atletico Madrid will, will be duking out for the top two places in, in my book. I think there's potential there for to be some really um, hard-fought battles between those two. Roma uh, last season would have been quite a prospect in that group, I think, but they've um, lost a couple of big players. They obviously lost Rudiger to Chelsea. They've lost Salah to Liverpool and, and have not started off the season quite as well as they maybe finished last season. Totti's retired, they've lost their manager Spalletti, who was a big reason why they um think they had a record points total last season. So they had they've come off the back of this amazing season last season and as such a lot of their teams kind of been picked apart and I, I don't were, think they're quite as big a prospect this season as they might have been. And they they were after we had Mares um in the transfer market, but it appears that um, Leicester have, have priced him so highly that they, they've backed away from that one now and, and perhaps decided to pursue other targets. Um, and you think unless they can they can add anybody before the window closes, then I think they are, they are going to find it difficult in that group. Yeah, they're definitely needing someone to replace Salah because um, Jekyll got the top scorer in Italy last season, but it was no doubt down to Salah who was providing most of those assists. And he's already in the first opening games, although he's scored a couple of goals, he's um, not looking quite as potent. And, and you know, they scraped a 1-0 win over Atlanta week one. They were quite heavily beaten by Inter 3-1 this last weekend. They're just not looking like a prospect that I think either Atletico or Chelsea will particularly fear. Well, what do you feel about, you know, the Chelsea-Atletico Madrid scenario? Because to me, that's mouthwatering. You know, two teams that in this day and age it's rare to find who sort of build from the back and, and so they're all about defence. I think it's a fascinating encounter. It's, it's almost like the 90s in Serie A, the, the ty- type of tactical battle we could have here. As I think it is, but but it, <laughs> those could be two very dull games um, in terms of uh, <laughs> low scoring and, uh, and and parking the bus, particularly uh, in the latter fixtures. You don't, if, you don't feel the tactics will, will carry them through, no? I, I mean, it depends um, It depends how and, and why you watch football. Um, but I suspect if, if you watch football for... Uh, you know, end-to-end stuff, then uh, you're going to be very disappointed. On the other hand, if you're watching it for the the sort of needle with the the whole Diego Costa saga or whatever happens, he he can't play for Atletico because uh, they can't register anybody until January. So uh, so he's probably going to be sitting getting fat in Brazil, probably. <laughs> well, he, he he was he was at the big the big classical here at the weekend, all over the television. He seems to be having a great time down here. Football seem you know, watching football's great. Playing doesn't seem to be a priority at the minute. No, absolutely. Uh, but I think there's obviously going to be no love lost between those two teams. So uh, the the Diego Costa Classico. Um, I think uh, from from a sort of needle point of view, um, if not from a, a goal scoring point of view, is is going to be. Uh, 
a couple of very interesting ties. Laura, you, you don't see Roma having, obviously, they don't, just don't have the artillery to better these two, would you say? Yeah, I think, like you say, Chelsea and Atletico Madrid particularly pride themselves on making themselves very hard to break down initially. And, and uh, certainly in Madrid's case, like to kind of have a solid base upon which to build an attack. And Roma, as I said, are looking slightly less potent up front and I can't think of actually two worst teams to come up against for them in, in the whole draw just because they're going to be so hard to break down. So don't get me wrong, I think they'll they'll more than cope against Carabag and they'll be in third place and probably in the Europa League after Christmas. But for me, it's definitely got to be Chelsea and, and Madrid to go through. Dave, well, sticking with you because Group D sees Juventus, Barcelona, Olympiacos and Sporting of Portugal. Honestly, that's another great group. Um, you know, a Portuguese side in there who who you never know what you're going to get from. Uh, Olympiacos, you know, played in enough Champions Leagues, enough experience there. But the big two in this one, Laura, you, you know, Juve were very unlucky last season. I think in, in losing it. I, I enjoyed their their route all the way to the final, and they just they were they, they were sadly beaten on the day in the final. But what's changed there? What what do you think the aspirations of Juve are? And and you know, obviously having Barcelona in the group, but mouth watering. Definitely mouthwatering and I think for Juventus especially they'll be looking at Barcelona and, and the, the loss of Neymar and the addition of Polino that some people might not think is, is, is as great a purchase as they could have got. Definitely if you're going to have Barcelona in your group I would think this is as good a year to have them as it's been in the last 10 years so from Juventus's point of view they'll be they'll be looking forward to playing them I would think and hopefully getting a couple of good results against them if they can Juventus um, are going into they've now won six consecutive Scudetto titles they're trying to defend it for a seventh season obviously not looking quite as strong having lost Bonucci at the back but um, still more than more than capable of you know creating problems in the Champions League um, uh, and I, I still think they're going to be contenders at least in the quarterfinals this season that Bonucci loss, though, you know, obviously they're, they're a team that are very, very much defensive centric, and and you know that they, they they pride themselves on that. Can you can you see that being a massive loss? Do you think it detracts so much away from Juve? Until today, I would have said yes, purely because they don't appear to have done very much to try and replace him. They don't have anybody particularly strong coming through from the youth ranks that can replace him immediately. They don't have anybody, you know, they were going to have to rely on Kalini and Barzagli, who themselves are advancing in age. But they've just today, I think, confirmed um, the signing of Benedict Tuedes, um from Schalke. So they're definitely aware that that's a problem and, and he's a he's an experienced defender, more than capable at, at that kind of level. So I think with that signing, they're probably looking stronger than they maybe were even 24 hours ago. Well, there you go. Ben, I want to talk about Barcelona with you. And, you know, I know there's a train of thought out there quite strongly, actually, at the minute, you know, that, that this is a team, their cycle is coming to an end and so on. Uh, you know, I think they were desperately embarrassed by the, by the Neymar move. I, th- I think it caught them totally unaware. And the club, certainly, if, if you watch the uh, the Super Cup uh, in, in Spain, they were wiped off the park by Real Madrid. And I'm sure that didn't go down well in Barcelona. And it just seems that the Neymar thing has really, really unsteadied the ship there, and it'll be. I think it's a really interesting season coming up for them. Yeah, I think they they've coasted um, on on you know having that that fantastic front three um, for the last few years, and it's masked 
um, some issues that were there and, and the, the loss of Neymar has, has sort of blown that wide open and and those issues have, have really been exposed and, and the, the whole situation with the board, you know, you've got the the, the, the fans and, and it would appear a lot of the team um, and Neymar speaking out after he left and saying, you know, this this board at Barcelona needs to change, they're, they're destroying the... Um, the club and and the, the the sort of foundations of the club and the Barcelona identity and there the does seem to be um, you know some some uh, disquiet there. Um, I so I think if if they if they can get it right and and you know most opinion seems to suggest that they won't be able to get it right with this board, but this is going to be have to be the start of 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 a process of rebuilding and and it could be three, four, five years um, before we see Barcelona as, as serious contenders again. Um, but, you know, you never know in football. Um, and, and actually, Barcelona have strengthened in, obviously they lost Neymar, but they have strengthened in, in certain areas that they needed to strengthen. Um, the the Paulinho signing did appear to be baffling and, and may well, probably will turn out to be Still that is way. to me. Still um, is to me. Uh, the the footage um, of him. I don't know if you've seen the footage of him doing the keepy uppies, where he appears to only be able to do about three um, when they did the unveiling. Um, I'm uh, informed was uh, um, edited. He'd actually done about twenty. He'd actually done about twenty, but the footage was badly edited into. Uh, I think to to fit a certain narrative. Um, but it, or it does, well edited, depending on what well, you look at it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, it, but it does seem a, a strange acquisition. Um, uh, you know, obviously the signing of Dembele um, is is great, but you know anybody anybody could have spotted that talent. But some of the other um, business perhaps that Barcelona have done not just this year but but going back over the last few years um, and looking at what's coming out of um, La Masia now and and actually Real Madrid are bringing far more players through their academies at La Fabrica um, than, than Barcelona are these days so that that old perception of Barcelona you know just a team full of, of young guys that they brought through and Catalans and Real Madrid being this team of of, of mercenaries and Galacticos and 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 whatever um it, it's just not true anymore um and Barcelona have lost some of that identity having said all of that they're they're still um, second favourites um, <laughs> for the tournament, um, and, and probably with good reason because um, La Liga um, is perhaps not as challenging as 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 um, Serie A or or the Premier League might be for some of the the teams competing from those nations. Um, so they'll be able to rest certain players and and uh, and perhaps take it a bit easier in the in the days before before Champions League games. Um, so, uh, you know, they've, they've got, there's not a, a strong third team in that group. So um, I, I think they've got anything to fear from that point of view. And I, I still probably imagine them getting to the semi-final. There you go. Laura, yourself, you know, I know I know you have thoughts on the Paulinho thing, but I, I, would, I would like to ask you also, you know, I, I, I don't want to have an opinion on this. Um, you know, th- there's still talk of Felipe uh, Coutinho going to Barcelona. And and if that does go, I just don't see him fitting there. I don't think he's of that calibre. Um, 
normally when we associate Barcelona replacing or replenishing their squad, it's at the very, very top, top, top. You know, we saw Dembele, who is a magnificent prospect, there's no doubt about it, but still very young. Then you have the Coutinho thing, and Coutinho's a little bit further on down the line, but he doesn't have that consistency that would have him in that world-class bracket. Do you feel that maybe Barca have lowered the bar in their signings? Are their targets certain? Um, it, it would certainly appear to be that way on paper. Um, going back to the Coutinho thing, people have very short memories in football. I think you're, I think a lot of people forget that you know going to Liverpool really saved his career. It was only there that he managed to establish himself. He'd already had a crack at what you might call the big time when he was at Inter, and it didn't really work for him there. And although people would quite rightly say, oh, he was young and, and he maybe wasn't as experienced as he needed to be, there's, there's other players throughout Europe and throughout world football who've taken their chance at the same age that he didn't. So I think consistency definitely has a problem in, on his part. Um, whether whether it's a lowering of standard on Barcelona's part or whether it's just a completely different um, approach that they're taking in terms of the style of football they want to play, I'm not sure. Because certainly if you look at their teams over the last decade or so, neither Coutinho or Polino would necessarily have fitted into either of those kind of systems. So it seems to me, rather than being a, a lowering of standard, it looks like it might be a, a just a, a complete change in philosophy. I don't know why they would want to change it when it was working so well, but that's that's the way it comes across to me, certainly. Um, but I wanted to ask you, Dave, actually, as far as Polino is concerned... I've heard a lot about him being, you know, the centre of the Brazil team um, in the in the recent qualifiers and things, and that maybe being a basis for which Barcelona were looking at bringing him in. Um, I don't think playing well in China really counts for much, but is there any truth in the fact that you know he's become a bit of a mainstay in the Brazil national side? Uh, he's he's sort of hipster's choice down here. He's chipping in with goals and all sorts, <laughs> but you you know that that's the Brazil national team. This isn't Barcelona. Mm, yeah. Uh, and I think that, that that that's that's the problem. I think that anybody I've spoken to, don't get me wrong, Paulinho for a certain type of player is magnificent. I'm not so sure, uh, you know, what, what, he's not replacing Busquets. He's not replacing what Xavi used to bring. He's not replacing what Iniesta. Different type of player entirely. I I struggle to see unless, as you say, Laura, there's a, there's a different football philosophy coming. But I struggle with that notion. Even you know, given the fact that everything's built around Messi there. I struggle to see where, where, where Paulinho fits into that. And, and equally, I struggle to see where Coutinho fits into Barcelona. I can see in Dembele, um, you know, he, he, he's electric, but, you know, I, I watch every game of Phil Coutinho. I, I have him here in the national team of a Liverpool fan and, and his consistency. He has moments, moments of brilliance, moments of being world class, but they are just that. And I, I've said this in podcasts so many times recently. They are just moments of being world-class, he has yet to make that transition. And normally, I think, for, for a Barcelona player, he's made that transition a la, a la Suarez, who actually got better still, but he was he was world-class by the time he was leaving Liverpool. I think it's very, very different, this. Uh, and, you know, Barcelona seemed determined to push the bar, uh, the Coutinho thing. I have no idea. I, I, I have no thoughts on if he goes, he goes. If he stays, he stays. Uh, my head's fried with it this last three weeks. But, you know, you guys, I, I, I just don't see Barca being as strong. You know, obviously, the next couple of years are going to be immensely important for Messi and for Suarez, who are now hitting the 30 mark. And it's going to be very, very interesting watch, watching what Barca do 
to to replace and these what guys. they really need to do i mean they need to think about replacing both of those and i think they thought well we're, we're gonna have to work at a replacement for suarez and then they lost neymar um but what they what they need to do is uh, Messi in January will be six months left on his contract um so you know it was reported a, a few weeks ago perhaps that he'd already signed it but it would, would appear he hasn't um so there's the potential that he could be talking to to uh to suitors in in January um which seems extraordinary I have heard Ben that he's already spoken to Manchester City I don't know whether it's true but I've seen two or three different bits and pieces there has actually been a conversation with man city i think what's his cause is probably about 300 million um so this, there's probably they're probably the only club um that could afford to pay that and probably the only club that he would want to go to um with the um with the the links with to link up with pep um but but how you know it sort of echoes the the um situation with with arsenal um, when you think, how do they let these players get into the last year of, of their contracts? Um, you know, their their biggest players, um, these clubs um, that you'd think, well, you know, with all that money, they they ought to be running running things properly. But 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 it, it would appear that that some things have gone very wrong um, in the in the boardroom at the boardroom level, um, and uh, you know, it doesn't bode well um, for Barcelona. I, th- I think it, it it might seem a bit um, frivolous to say it, but in this this day and age of social media, you can't ignore it. But on the day that it was announced that Barcelona were suing Neymar for his transfer to PSG, uh, Instagram pictures popped up on, I think, Messi, Neymar and Gerard Piquet's Instagram of all of them back together. And, you know, drinking, having a laugh, having a party now. That might seem totally insignificant, but to me, none of this ever happens as an accident. That, to me, seems a little bit of a sign of defiance from some of the Barcelona players saying to the board, we're not happy with the way you're operating. There's another aspect in there, Laura, as well, that the likes of Instagram and everything, is, is there's a semi-control from the club of, of what content goes out there on those things. And you might find that was that was manufactured, as you say. Yeah, I, I definitely think that there's there's a lot more thought goes into these things than, than most of us on the street will ever know. And and I don't think anything like that could ever happen and, and be an accident. So so to me, that, that spoke volumes. And I think there are players still at Barcelona who are not happy with the way things are being managed, particularly with this relatively new president. And it wouldn't surprise me if... You know, even Iniesta's come out and said that he finds himself in a situation he would never have imagined two years ago and that he, he is considering his future. He's, he's considering the fact that he might not finish his career at Barcelona. And and to hear him talking like that and, and Messi not having signed a contract with nearly only six months to go is just something you would never have imagined, you know, even a year, two years ago. Yeah, and, and it comes back again to, you know, the end of these cycles and... You know, every club has them. Uh, you know, my own club nearly lost Jared a couple of times, and then there was a struggling with contracts and Torres. When you know, you, you've got to understand that cycles just come to an end, and and unfortunately, the age seems to be um, the, the the main issue at Barcelona. You, know, they're getting on. Um, they're, they're, I don't know how long uh, Messi can continue. You know, the, the the train of thought out there is Ronaldo can go on till he's thirty eight, given his physical condition. They never speak the same about Messi and his physical condition, even though it's probably right up there. 
how much longer would they want to go on? Do they want to play in reduced roles? Do they want to play the game, you know, not at their peak anymore, Ben? Do, do you feel that that's an aspect in it as I well? Mean, I mean, I think with, with Messi, his game doesn't rely on, on the, his physicality as much as Ronaldo does. And Ronaldo has had to, to turn himself into, into that guy who looks after himself well. And, and, and obviously Messi does, does too, although there's famously those photos when Pep was managing of him defiantly drinking cans of Coke and, and all sorts. But, you know, he's, he's grown up a bit since then. And, and certainly the way those, those two look after themselves, because I don't know if you remember, when they sort of broke out and it was a similar time to when Rooney was, was breaking out. And, and obviously, you know, he's, he's about the same age as those two guys. And, uh, you know, he, he clearly hasn't looked after himself in the same way. And, and you can see what that's done for them. Uh, I mean, Madrid are using Ronaldo. Um, they certainly did towards the end of last season in a different way. Um, he's much more of a box player now um and and having the ball uh, put to him in the box um and a, a lot of those away games that real madrid had towards the end of last season um you know the likes of, of malaga um he wasn't playing in those games um and and you know that's how barcelona are going to have to start using messi but they haven't got those players coming through and that that quality on the bench that Madrid have got, um, which is which is, you know, the Barcelona's first eleven is still pretty good. Um, you know, they're they're not gonna be the same without Neymar. Um, but the difference is that that Madrid have got that that incredible, you know, they've got Asensio coming through. They don't need to use Gareth Bale every week. They don't need to use Ronaldo every week. Um God, and Barcelona ha- haven't got that luxury at the moment. So that they are going to need to spend that money wisely. And spending that money wisely doesn't necessarily mean spending it all before the window closes in the next 24 hours. Um, because that, you know, they, they did that, um, you know, 15 odd years ago when they got all the, the money for Figo and they made some disastrous um, signings then. And, and that was uh, not not a great era for Barcelona. Um, so it might um, pay for them to, to not write off this year, but but know that they're, they're still going to finish second, probably quite comfortably in, in the Liga. Um, but then... Uh, make some wise investments next summer. Well, listen, I think we've gone away on a tangent, but an interesting one. Well, well, well you know, no, no problems with that. We'll move forward in, into the next group, and and we find Spartak Moscow, Sevilla, uh, Liverpool, and Maribor in this one. And you know, it's sort of been said we we got it as a Liverpool fan. We got quite an easy draw out of it, or a favourable draw. But Sevilla are no mugs. I don't expect Spartak to be any mugs in this one, Ben. Um, and Maribor, I think it's the first time we'll ever play them, uh, a bit of an unknown quantity for us. But, you know, obviously I have my own points of view on it, which which are biased. So I, I'm keen to hear your, your both both of your views on this group. That That's a, a correct assertion there. You know, Liverpool could have had much tougher draws than, than what they've got here. Um, Sevilla will be uh, a challenge there, although they're not perhaps the the force that they were um for the last few seasons and you know players moving on and and situations changing there perhaps one of the challenges um for liverpool will again as we mentioned with the united's group but but almost doubly so here is you know a trip to russia and a trip to slovenia 
Um, and often it's those those um, trips to to Russia and Eastern Europe that um, that really take it out of, of the players and, and put them um, in in a sort of bad position um, the following weekend and what impact that that might have on on Liverpool's um, league form um, around the time of those fixtures is is perhaps the thing to look at there. Um, and uh, you know what what that will take out of the legs of the players and and how that might feed into to um, their other Champions League games um, and and how and how um, Klopp can use can use the squad effectively um, to 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 manage that that run of fixtures. Yeah, and and Klopp's not a great man for for much rotation. He likes a, he likes a core of players. No, I'm, you know, I'm already with the qualification group feeling sorry for. Sadio Mane's hamstrings, I think. Yeah, well, well, Salah was holding his, I think, after about 20 <laughs> minutes there against Arsenal at the weekend. And, you know, he, he, he does have this habit of, of you know, keeping the, the, the core of players and, and very late substitutions and everything. And, Laura, I'll come to you. You know, given the style of football that Liverpool have sort of treated us to in the last couple of weeks, you know, I, I look at that from a fan. I love it. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely adore watching it. But it's not sustainable over a season. You know, you're, you're going to have bodies everywhere. I think about 70 minutes. We, you know, we we look like we were tired players. Game three of the Premier League. Yeah, the the intensity that they played with the only the only match I've managed to catch Liverpool all preseason or even start the season was the uh, the four 0 win at Arsenal, and they just looked like the most dynamic, fast paced team that I think I've seen in a long, long time. And like you say. Not an intensity that, that they could keep up, but um, certainly excite, exciting to watch and, and more than enough to overrun probably three out of the four teams in, uh, sorry, two out of the other three teams in this group. Um, where I do think they have a problem is um, their defence is obviously slightly weak and is often left open just from this, the style of play that they do play. And I think Sevilla particularly are, are a team that could definitely exploit that from what I've seen of them over the past couple of years so that'll definitely be a potential banana skin Did it from the Europa League final to us the season yeah before. exactly exactly so it's not something that they're that, that they're totally alien to so um and Spartak Moscow the same as um Man United will have that that trouble Liverpool having to go over there Spartak Moscow are an experienced Champions League side that Liverpool will have to work really hard to overcome um, I think that's my that's my only issue with the way Liverpool play. They they play this exciting swashbuckling football, if you want to put it that way. But definitely leave themselves open at the back, and and certainly Moscow and and Sevilla could definitely exploit that. Yeah, and I did. I actually did a Liverpool podcast last night. Well, guys, and and it's the one thing that that I'm calling for. You know, it's, it's one thing to be able to go out like we did uh, against Arsenal and just blow them away. But it reaches a point where you need to start conserving energy and, you know, you need to use your substitutes in a more intelligent manner about just taking the pace out of the game, seeing it out, you know, if you're in that position. Laura, yourself, how much of a factor do you think the World Cup being held in Russia this year will have on the Russian teams? Do you, do you feel there will be a, a a point to prove that they'll, they'll come out in, in these, this Champions League especially to, to make their mark, so to speak, with their World Cup year coming up? I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm not sure that there will only because I, I've listened to a few uh, don't get me wrong I, I don't know very much about Russian football at all but I have listened uh, in anticipation of the World Cup to a couple of sort of Russian football podcasts and things and 
And I actually don't know that they particularly hold a high opinion of what anybody thinks of them outside of their own environment. I think they will perform as, as well as they can perform and to, to those teams it will probably have no bearing on the World Cup. I think what it might do in the reverse is maybe have people from outside scrutinise them a, a little bit more um, to see if there's any players that will potentially be uh, you know, taking up the, the mantle for their national team to see if there's any kind of potential danger from them as hosts um, within their team. But I don't think... I don't think that the fact the World Cup's coming up in, in nine months' time or however long it is, that, that it's going to particularly have an effect on them this season. And Ben, yourself, you know, looking at this group, I, 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 I have no predictions for this group at all. <laughs> who, who, who do you see in, in one, two and three? Who do you see getting the Europa League and who do you see progressing? I, I think it's, it's Liverpool, Sevilla and Spartak for the Europa League place. And Laura, would you, would you echo those or are you anything different? I would I would say the same. I don't see um I don't see Spartak having enough to overcome either um Sevilla or um or Liverpool. Sevilla might actually prefer to drop into the Europa League since they like it so much, but um I don't I, I think they'll have enough to take the second spot. Um Maribor I think could potentially cause a banana skin for some of the bigger teams. I know that they they put out my team Celtic, they put them out of the Champions League qualifiers a couple of years ago. So they do have some experience of, of you know going to teams with a slightly bigger reputation and, and causing an upset, but but I don't think they'll do anything other than maybe take an odd point here or there. They'll they'll definitely finish rock bottom. Well, listen, let's move into Group F and and that's see Shakhtar Donetsk uh, and Manchester City, Napoli and Feyenoord. Now, Laura, you know Napoli in this group with with, with Manchester City, who you know are still I always feel they're still coming to terms with the European thing and you know the, the whole Champions League thing they they in the past have always got nightmare groups uh and this one seems quite favorable it's the first year I think that, that they're in a group that looks very very favorable to them yeah I think the uh, it's a weird thing I it's a, amazing to me how um psychology can get into a player's head in terms of you know why should a player like Sergio Aguero or in years gone by Yaya Turi um have any particular issue playing in the Champions League just because they're playing for a different team. You know, that those is two examples are two players who've had experience of going far in the competition with other teams, but it just seems to be an issue that went something within the, the whole atmosphere of the club that it's all still very new to them. And like you say, um they they seem to struggle slightly just with getting that extra bit together to to kind of become a proper force in Europe. I, um, I, and I think sorry. the issue the issue has been on a sort of institutional level in some way, and the you know City fans kind of uh, almost uh, revolting against the Champions League um, a few years ago, and and the way certain things have gone for them. Um, but uh, the half empty stadium, Ben, as well won't help. You know, you talk about a Celtic there. Fill on the thing, voracious support. It's not there for City. No, uh, 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 I, I think that this year is uh, this this year is going to be a year where where they uh, where they really break out and and perhaps show show people what they're capable of. Um, I, I think the the question mark could come not in this group particularly, um, but but 
they're you know they're clearly going to be I think along with uh, United competing I think that those are the two um, in my mind the two two potential winners of the Premier League and what could tell is in February um, when when the games are really coming thick and fast and they're if they're seriously competing uh, on both fronts um, that could be um, where where they get found out um, particularly because although they've had so many players come in um, they've had so many players go out as well and 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 getting that side to to gel together um, uh, could could be challenging for them. And I think, although although you said yourself, Dave, they, they appear to have a slightly more favourable draw, actually looking at it in a little bit more detail, you know, Napoli had a very strong season last season. They're a very uh, fast-paced, free-scoring side. They've got players like uh, Dries Mertens and Marek Hamsik who can cause danger from anywhere in the last third. Um, they've got Milik, their Polish striker, who's just coming back to form after a horrendous um, injury last season. But He's definitely um, one to be watched. And and Feyenoord obviously have that history on their side, but they are no mugs either. They're a a kind of young side on the rise again under um, Giovanni van Bronckhorst and possibly will cause more issues um, to Man City than they might have done in years gone by. And and the same is with the Moscow teams. Shakhtar Donetsk is is a long way to go. Um, and they've always got, you know, an unknown Brazilian or two in the team that can cause an issue. <laughs> That's me just guessing, I have to say, because I don't know much about Shakhtar Donetsk, but certainly what I've seen of them in the Champions League over the last decade or so, they've never been an easy team to to sort of overturn. And then the Pep Guardiola thing as well with City, Laura. You know, I, I personally feel that he's under a bit of pressure this season to deliver something. He was very underwhelming, um, you know, his first season. Obviously, it's taken him a bit of time to get his personnel the way he wants them. He spent a lot of money, especially on fullbacks this uh, this season and goalkeepers and a Brazilian goalkeeper of all <laughs> things. Heaven, heaven knows. But I, I just wonder how much... You know, pressure. You know, Ben has has pointed out there that he'd make him one of the favourites for the for the EPL as well. I, I think there's a real pressure on for for Pep to to lift something this season. Yeah, I definitely think so. I think that's a pressure. He, if the uh, my analysis of of him as a character is anything to go by, it's definitely a pressure he'll put himself under as much as anybody else will. Um, I think what what his issue was last season was. Um, He's got this such an ingrained philosophy about the way that he wants to play football, and he was determined that he was going to play that football no matter what happened, no matter what he came up against. And, and though that's an admirable quality in a lot of ways, I think he's probably himself would admit over the preseason that um, there's got to be a bit of compromise there, and he's got to he's got to accommodate you know what the opposition are doing and try and combat that as much as he's going to try and play his own football. Um, so I think this season you'll probably see a lot more of City playing the way he wants to play because he's got some of his own personnel in. But yeah, definitely the pressure's on whether it's the European Cup that he's going to lift. I, I highly doubt that, but he's certainly going to have to put in a little bit more of a challenge for, for the domestic league and, and possibly one of the domestic cups as well. Yeah, I think he's he's basically... I don't think the FA Cup is going to be enough. He's He's got to either win the, the Champions League or the EPL, and, and I can't see him winning the Champions League. So um, so he's got... To, and if it gets down to it in, in February when the Champions League comes back, he might have to... I mean, not that 
that he might sort of consciously be able to to admit this to himself, but um, he he needs to win the league. I, I don't see where City would go after him. But on the other hand, if he doesn't, I I mean that might be the reason that he stays even even if they don't lift anything at the end of the season. Because I just where do you go after Pep when you your whole project since 2012 has been about getting Pep <laughs> into the club, about building a, a, a sort of brand in the same way that PSG are building a brand, which which Mourinho isn't a, a brand guy. He's not the man to bring in to build your brand and your style of football. So, you know, you, you'd have to bring in a, a, a man with a, a serious philosophy. And actually, these managers can develop very quickly. And, you know, in a couple of years, we'll be talking about managers that we've never heard of. Uh, as we sit here today, um, the next the next one coming up, who who actually idolises Pep and who is um, potentially sort of the next big thing on the managerial scene is is Julian Nagelsmann at, at Hoffenheim. Like, there's a lot of people say there's aspects of his character that aren't so um, so likable either, and I think that that kind of shone through in, in some of the press conferences around the Liverpool match, but. He's certainly sort of the the next big name. You need name. that, Laura. There's nothing wrong with it. You need it. Oh, and, you, need and, of, you need a bit of bite in your manager. And, and I think that's what what Arsene Wenger's completely lost. Um, you know, he's he just doesn't have that sort of edge anymore, if you like. Um, and 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 that's what modern managers and and managers through throughout history, you know, they've all had this bit of a bit of a bastard in them, basically. And uh, and, and Nagelsmann's definitely got that. Um, so, you know, it, it could be one of those younger German managers. But he looks like a schoolboy, Ben, as well. Is that, there's an innocent look and there's a, there's a devil He's in younger him. than me, which, <laughs> which um, is incredibly depressing and makes me feel very unaccomplished. Um, but <laughs> I think he, did he have to retire from from football when he was about yeah, 19 or something? I can't remember if it was an ankle or a knee injury, but it was 19 or 20 and he just went straight into the to the coaching setup. I think he was an assistant manager by the time he was 25. So, And he draws a lot of respect off that, Laura, from what I'm led to believe. You know, he, he's been through the system. He's, he's, you know, he's cut his teeth, so to speak, and, and come up through the system. And therefore, whenever he's arrived in, in, in a first-team job, he, he gets the respect of the players. Well, this is this is the thing. There's a lot of the the British press covering him, you know, as a young, un- inexperienced, uh, sort of naive football manager, and and you just wanted to say, well, actually, if you'd done your research a little bit more, you would see he's actually been managing or coaching in some form for a decade. He's probably got as much, if not more, experience than a lot of the people he's coming up against. And well, it's also far more common in Germany to have managers. Um, Perhaps not as quite as young as he started um, when he I think he got his first big job when he was about twenty eight, didn't he? But um, to have managers in their thirties and actually it's a it's a sort of peculiarity of of the EPL. Um, I think in the major European leagues, um, we we do in the EPL have the the oldest um, average age for managers, which tends to be in the sort of early fifties. Um, but in Germany, it's far far lower. Well, listen, I'll stick with you, Ben. What way do you see this one panning out? Um, you know, who, who do you see getting the Europa League and who do you see progressing? Um, I think we've probably got to put City top of this group um, simply because they've spent an absolute fortune. Um, Napoli um, will, will definitely provide a challenge. And, uh, you know, from everything I hear, I think Napoli could be 
um, if you were going for for an absolute dark horse and and you wanted to 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 get some value out of a bet, then uh, you know as a complete outsider, then you might want to go for Napoli for the whole tournament. Um, you never know. I, I I'm not sure there's much to pick between Shakhtar and and Feyenoord. Um, for the Europa League place. Um, I think Shakhtar do benefit from the fact that um, going to play in the Ukraine um, uh, is and and has been uh, traditionally a a very hard place to go and get a result. Um, So they'll be relying on on, uh, doing well at home. I'm going to say Shakhtar for the Europa League place. And Laura, yourself, how much faith are you putting in Napoli? Uh, I, I definitely th- agree with Ben in that I think they could be a potential dark horse to go further than anybody would expect. Whether whether they can win the whole thing, I'm not sure. But I, to be honest, I think I think City still have problems at the back that Napoli could exploit. So I'm going to say, for the purposes of the group anyway, I'm going to say Napoli to go top. I'm going to say Manchester City to go second and. Like you say, not much to pick between Feyenoord and Shakhtar. So purely to annoy some um, Ajax supporting friends of mine, I'm going to say Feyenoord third. <laughs> ben, moving on into Group G, we have, uh, to me, this is a really, really fun group. We have Monaco, Porto, RB Leipzig, and I can't pronounce it, but Besiktas. Uh, Bes- uh, say it for me, Ben. <laughs> Besiktas. That's the very people. <laughs> the Turkish team. Yes. That's, uh... I think that reminds me, was, was there a, uh, something last year where one of the German teams were just listed as the German team by one of the South? Yeah, I think it was, uh, was it Borussia Mönchengladbach? Yes, that's, easy, right, that's yeah. easy by compared to this. <laughs> this is awful. And I say I've been on two or three podcasts and I've, I've had to skirt my way around it because I daren't say it because I just can't say it. But listen, moving on. No, this is this is a lovely looking group, I think, from a sort of neutral perspective. You know, there's a lot of intrigue in this group. You know, the the sort of the upstarts of of uh, RB Leipzig and you know Monaco to a degree as well of what they did last yes. year. Ben, you know, two teams that have played and Porto's a good team as well. Be very surprised if if Monaco didn't top this group despite almost their entire um, first eleven from last season um, no longer being there. Um, they, you know, they do seem to have, have developed a, a philosophy there, and something that that um, that, that the next sort of crop of players um, are, will be able to adapt to. And, and they've started in Liga um, very strongly. I think they've won all of their opening three games. Um, so, um, so I'd, I'd go for Monaco to top that group. Um, Leipzig could be interesting. You know, absolute. Um, debutants here, um, and and their sort of strong uh, second place last year in in the Bundesliga, um, but whether they can um, repeat that strong performance and and do that on two fronts, um, I I think this this is going to be a bit of a tall order, and that's it's not the the friendliest group they could have got, um, and and that's likely because they're probably one of the lowest seeds um, in the whole draw. Um, and then Turkey, no, nobody, I mean, as much as we say about going to Eastern Europe being tough, nobody wants to go to Turkey. Um, you know, don't really, particularly English teams, don't often go to Turkey and get a decent result at any of, uh, any of the Turkish teams at Besiktas or Galatasaray. Or, um, yeah, I, I, I think from a sort of... Uh, 
a sort of football uh, hipster kind of connoisseur way, then uh, this Group G is um, is is the one to uh, um, you know find on the on the red button or BT Sport seventeen. No, absolutely, and I think you know the unknown quantity of Leipzig through. Given what we saw from Monaco, and and I, I have no doubt that Monaco are going to invest properly again. We'll get some fun out of them again, Laura. But I, I think the big question for me here is 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 whether RBZ, RB Leipzig sort of collapse with with the pressures of Europe. You know, they're an eight year old club. Let's let, let's put it into perspective. They're 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 only just starting out. They had a, a dream season. They got promotion uh, and, and challenged for the Bundesliga, which which was a, an amazing achievement. But I have a feeling that the, the Le- Leipzig will probably end up third in this group, and I don't know why. I just I just think that the occasions might get to them. Well, I, th- I I was just about to say the exact same thing. I think Monaco have started so strongly, like Ben was saying, they've, they've won their, their opening three games, their last of which was a 6-1 thumping of Marseille. So, um, And Porto, the Champions League isn't the Champions League without Porto. I think they're one of the most consistent uh, teams that just seem to appear there every year. I think they shared the record with uh, with Arsenal for consecutive seasons for a long time, um, appearing in the Champions League. So I can't see past the two of them using their kind of experience that RB Leipzig don't have to take those top two spots. As far as Leipzig are concerned, I think they're giving themselves as good a chance as they can. They, they appear to have held on to a lot of their of their better players. Keita, obviously, who... Um, we, out of the goodness in our heart, we're loaning them back for the season. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. Good good of you at Liverpool to do that. But yeah, they've managed to hold on to, to him and to some of their more high-profile players that, that helped them get to the position they got to last season. Um, so if they're going to have a chance of getting into the to the Europa League, then they've given themselves as good a chance as any. But I, I actually think that if you kind of write off their chances against Monaco and Porto, Besiktas is where they're going to have to try and get their points. And like we've said before, Turkey is not a place that even the most experienced of teams would want to go. So I, I see them definitely struggling with that. No, and you know, you talk about the big atmospheres there, and and you know, Porto are no are absolutely no mugs. They're 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 experienced at this game, and you know that Turkish tide that I can't pronounce also have a pedigree in Europe, and and you know, Monaco did what they did last season, and you know, while it looks it looks on paper a great group with with open football, and and as you as Ben said, it's one of the ones you'll you'll probably want to watch as a, as a secondary game, um, what how this group plays out. I ju- I just feel that. It's one thing to to do it in the Bundesliga when you start travelling around Europe and and with with a complete lack of that experience and they're a very young side as well, Laura. It, it could be a baptism of fire. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I think it'll be a bridge too far for them. You know, there's it would have been different if they'd been put in a team with say, you know, I don't know if the pots would have allowed it, but if they'd been in the in a, a group with somebody like Maribor or Carabag or even Apoel, you know, that you might have no, said that there's at least four. one they fixture there. They, they never well, stood a chance with that. They were, all, they were on a hiding to nothing, I think, regardless of Well, what exactly. Then in that case, you know, they were always going to end up in a group where there was not one game that you would even count as, say, easy. And, and I, think, I think their lack of experience is going to tell, but particularly in a group with two stalwarts like Monaco and Porto in there. 
And Ben, what way do you see this one playing out? You know, I think I think out of them all, this is possibly the most difficult conundrum to solve. If, you know, who gets a Europa League, who goes through? It, it's a difficult one. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could end up with egg on my face, but I think I'll do this one in reverse order. And I see Leipzig at the bottom of this group. Um, I, I think that lack of experience perhaps you know obviously they'll have players that have, that have played in the Champions League but I think that institutional level of experience probably just in some of the the, the basic things that that um the organizational things um all these little things um that that City um found challenging for a few years um I I think then it's I I think I've probably got to put Besiktas third um, in this group for the Europa League place there. Um, although um, if if Porto go over to Turkey and struggle, um, and and then perhaps there's there's uh, there's a draw between those two in Porto, then you know you could see Besiktas go through as second in second place, and then I just can't see past Monaco um, top in this group. I think they're they're just going to be too. Um, too well drilled and and too too good, um, and I, I think they'll just uh, sort of uh, run all over um, the other three teams in the group. Yeah, I, I find it very difficult. I think I think we'll finish the way they come out of the pots. One, two, three, and four, exactly that order. Laura, yourself, it is a difficult one. Yeah, it's difficult. I think the one that that makes it difficult is Besiktas there because as we keep saying. Their home games are where potentially other teams are going to struggle, so that's Blood, where they could potentially, you know. You know? <laughs> well, exactly, and and you know they could quite easily come out of that group with you know nine points from their home games, and then where where do you end up? But I, I don't quite see that happening. I, I can't disagree with either of you. I think it'll be as it came out of the pot, so it'll be Monaco first, Porto second, then Besiktas, then Leipzig. I think it's going that way myself. Now into the final group. We have the holders, Real Madrid. We have Borussia Dortmund, Tottenham Hotspur, and Applewell of Cyprus. And I think if you're a Tottenham fan, and, and I have an insert here from, from Dan Tracy, who is one, and, and you know, he, it's a bit of a nightmare draw for them. So take a listen to this. So I'm joined by Dan Tracy, who is a Spurs fan. Dan, you got sort of, you got a difficult draw, probably a very unkind draw in the uh, the Champions League, you know, drawing Madrid and Dortmund. Just curious as to as to your thoughts as a Tottenham fan. Are you disappointed? Are you, are you pumped about and stoked about the, the possibilities of playing these bigger teams? Um, well, I think in before the draw was made, not being in pot two was always going to be something that went against us. If you looked at the teams in pot two, they're probably stronger pot than uh, that of pot one. But, um, you know, it was a case of sort of waiting for the hand that was going to be dealt to us. Coming out of it the other side, um, it's not ideal with a draw, but at the same time, it's testing yourself against some of Europe's biggest clubs. Last season, we had pretty much of a more of an open draw, and I think expectations were much higher, and we were left with egg in our face when we didn't get out of the group stages. So perhaps it gives us a better chance, perhaps not getting excuses in early, but I do feel that the expectations won't be as high, and that might end up being in our favour. So it's a case of, I guess, glass, uh, glass half empty, glass half full. Indeed, and you know we've we've spoken in the past as well on the other pods I've done with you about you know the Wembley factor and and all of this. Dan, you know you lost against Chelsea at the weekend. Passed there, um, not a great start. Obviously, Chelsea have a very good record there, and, and you know it's almost a neutral ground for that particular fixture. Um, so to, not to be too unkind about it, but is that a factor of worry for you? It will be until we actually start winning games. I mean, if we identify Burnley as coming Sunday, if we can 
win that one, then it should hopefully sort of put any of that talk to rest and then we can sort of actually focus on Champions League matches. And it will also give us a bit more experience going into these matches because last season we played at Wembley and we sort of played cold, if, if you sort of use a better term, because we didn't have any experience before that in the last sort of few years or so. But now it's, it's more familiar. It should hopefully work in our advantage. So, you know, if we don't beat Burnley and it all becomes a crisis all of a sudden and people will talk about it even more, should we beat Burnley as expected? You know, nothing's a given, especially when Burnley beat Chelsea a couple of weeks back. But, you know, if we can get a win there and I don't think that becomes a factor and then I think you can just solely focus on the Champions League itself. Indeed, and you know the, the Dortmund fixture would would sort of zoom into focus as as the pivotal two ties of of you know that particular group for yourself. At the minute, I consider Madrid to be head and shoulders above anybody in world football. At the minute, they just seem to be on another planet, um, and there would certainly be no disgrace for any team losing losing to Madrid. But that brings that this Dortmund fixture you know very much into focus. That's the key for your qualification. I feel. Absolutely. I think, you know, if you sort of take Real Madrid as a given to qualify top of the group, that said, though, Real Madrid and Borussia Dortmund were in the same group last season and Borussia Dortmund top of the group. So nothing is a given in Champions League football. But you are right. I think if Tottenham if Tottenham fans even, or anyone connected with the club, they'll be identifying the Dortmund games as the pivotal ones because any sort of point swing on that could make or break whether you're in the Champions League or the Europa League after Christmas. Indeed, and you know, for, for obviously, with the draw in mind, you know, do do you feel that maybe your fans? Yeah, obviously, you you would have preferred a a, a more favourable one, but have the expectations been killed a little by that in the last twenty four hours, Dan, from from your fan base? It's a hard one to gauge, really, because I went to all three games at Wembley last season, and they weren't particularly enjoyable. But I think the games we've been offered up this season, you're not sort of going into thinking, oh, okay, well, we're going to lose this one, but there's it's not so much sort of riding on it, and I think. If you can just enjoy the sort of evening as well, then I don't think it's going to sort of temper the sort of mood of the fans. I think, if anything, there'll be excitement because they are going to really look forward to watching Real Madrid at Wembley. Let's be honest, these are the nights that we have been looking forward to after qualifying for the Champions League. It was a bit of a, a bit of an anticlimax last season, getting the teams we had and also going out in the group stages. This season, if we do go out in the group stages, at least we can say, well, we've faced Real Madrid at Wembley, we've faced Borussia Dortmund. There's two sort of massive ties. So I think it's excitement, really. I think it's just a, a case of bring it on, really. And obviously, you know, like I, I know from from my, you know following Liverpool for many years in Europe, there, there's a certain buzz about those big, big teams coming. And you know, Tottenham, I, I consider to be a very, very good, very, very good team at the moment. And you know, the addition there of, uh, of Davis and Sanchez as well is, is an excellent one for you. Um, you know, you haven't done very much business, but what you have done it, it, it is excellent. And there's a real good unit there. And you know you you could you could trouble uh, Madrid, you cause them problems. Uh, certainly, if you get your act together at Wembley, I think Tottenham c- could get out of this group. I think there's absolutely no reason why they can't get out of the group. I mean, if you took the Real Madrid game at home in isolation, if you could perhaps get a point, I think that would be a very well earned point. But like I say, I think really the key game is going to be Dortmund away. If you can sort of pick up a win at Wembley and then do the same in Germany, which we struggled in the Europa League, but I think there was a, a caveat with. A few years back where Pochettino sort of didn't, I wouldn't say throw the game, but he sort of focused more on sort of winning the league and that sort of blew up in his face. But I think this time it would be lesson learned and you will see a full strength team in Dortmund. So I think, yeah, there's no, absolutely no reason why Tottenham can't get out of the group. It will be tight, but I'm confident just as anyone else. Well, here, I'm going to put you on the spot. What, you know, what, what is your own personal expectation? What, what do you feel that, that Tottenham can achieve out of the group? You know, if, if I put you on the spot today. I think they can finish second. There's absolutely no reason why they can't. I think Real Madrid will win the group because, like I say, they are light years ahead of everyone at the moment. The way they've been playing, even early this season, they've sort of not missed a step from sort of winning everything 
uh, come May and June of, uh, well, early in the summer. But I've, yeah, there's absolutely no reason why Tottenham can't finish second. Like I say, it's going to be how they fare against Dortmund. Also, they have to be looking at Applewell six points as a given. There's no way they can drop points there. So, yeah, I mean, bring it on. I think um, it's going to be tight, but I would really hope to see Tottenham in the uh, knockout stage come next year. So, guys, getting into this group, Real Madrid at the minute, Ben, they look on another planet to the rest of the world. You know what I mean? They they, they just seem head and shoulders above. And I, and I cite that game that they played against Barcelona. It was a masterclass without Ronaldo. Uh, the, the amount of players that they have. You know, Borussia Dortmund have lost Dembele. Um, you know, it, it remains to be seen what they do in the next 48 hours. Spurs playing at Wembley, as Dan alluded to there. And, and you know, what we've seen, they've, 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 they've managed to lose and only get a draw of one point out of two games at Wembley. Their history last season in the Champions League would not fill you full of confidence. And then you sort of the make-weights from Cyprus uh, making up the four. Uh, you know, I think Tottenham are in trouble here. Yeah, this is not the greatest draw that Tottenham could have got. Um, and uh, you do feel slightly sorry for them because uh, uh, you kind of hope that after last season. they were being, brilliant. Yeah, well, not in the Champions League. <laughs> um, uh, they were quite underwhelming, and so I'd kind of hoped that they might be able to show um, uh, that a bit, bit of uh, bit, bit of a better performance this year. But um, I mean, it's difficult to say. I, I think that they'll struggle. Um, to get into uh, ahead of Dortmund in this group, um, you know Dortmund have lost Dembele, um, but I think that the thing that that's important to note there is he was a, a is a wonderful individual talent, but he wasn't crucial to the way that they play, um, and they've got that that system. Do you think losing Obama Yang that, would have hurt them more? Because I think it would. I think. I think losing Obama Yang um, would have been an absolute disaster for them. Whereas this this loss of Dembele has brought in an absolute wad of cash, and they've they've lost an absolute star. Um, but but you know they've got that system there that that doesn't rely on him. Um, you know, much as I, I think that losing Coutinho um, for for Liverpool on a psychological level be be a huge thing um but but actually he's not as crucial to to Liverpool system as as somebody like Mane um, and the same the same applies here <laughs> or Firmino yeah so um I, I, I sadly um because because I've I've liked um seeing the progress of Tottenham in the last few years but I think the best that they can hope for is is uh that Europa League place and and they it would be uh bit of a humiliation for them if they uh if they couldn't grab that above um Applewell from Cyprus and and then Madrid are just on another level not just in in this group but in I think any of the other teams um in in the tournament um and in the world you know they're 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 in in their own tier um and and they're they're gonna have to be the ones that think lose the Champions League this year rather than somebody else um, stepping up and winning it. Um, there's going to have to be, um, you know, a, a bit of a mini crisis or a moment of madness um, at Madrid um, for 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 the Champions League to go anywhere else this year. No, and, and it's hard. To, it's hard to base an argument against. Although you know, ninety minutes can change everything, and, and uh, every I, I mean, yes, with the, of a, of a, of with the, with the huge caveat of of you know. Leicester won the, won yeah. the EPL. <laughs> it's a funny old game. Um, so, 
Yeah. But Laura, what you know, we, we've three very interesting teams in this group. We'll maybe take a bit of time, a little bit more time on them as well. You know, the, the the depth at Madrid. You know, and Ben had touched on it when we were talking about Barcelona, but I think maybe we could touch on it a little bit more here now. You know, the, the, we I did a pod actually with with Lee Scott around Real Madrid and, and the changes in in the structure and and the philosophy basically there at Madrid and you know the fact we're now developing players and that's the way they're going and Barcelona seem to now be you know looking for Galacticos. You know, we see Asensio, we see Isco. These are marvelous, marvelous players. Um, even Kovacic has, has has played a few games there recently. Another player who looks absolutely immense. Madrid are in really, really fine fettle at the minute. The thing that I find strange about it is that they kind of, as much as a team who's defended the European trophy the last two seasons and uh, and has played as well as they have can do this, but they, they appear to have done it slightly under the radar. I don't know if it I, I don't know if that sounds a really ridiculous thing to say, but it just seems like the the games against Barcelona earlier in the season in the Spanish Super Cup were the were the point where everybody kind of sat up and went, This is this is, you know, the next great team. But but is that part of Barcelona's downfall, or I think that's that's a question I would love to love to have. A, you know how much of it is how much are, are Barcelona on the wane, and you know obviously you know Madrid just looking in the complete position of power. But is it enhanced by maybe the the, the, the stepping down a little bit of of the the cycle of Barca? Well, I think to look at it another way, I think I think the fact that Barcelona have been as good as they have been for the past, you know, five or ten years has allowed uh, Real Madrid to kind of look at it and say, well, we've got an opportunity here to, as long as we can keep within touch and distance, which which they have done, you know, look at what processes we need to fix, what we need to resolve, and they've done that sort of out of the spotlight, if you like, and just all of a sudden. What seems to have been an overnight shift into this new philosophy is perhaps something that's been building over the last, you know, four or five years. And I think I think it's definitely bearing fruit now. You know, Kovacic, Asensio, Isco, all those kind of players who all look like they're the you know the next great world stars, and Zidane as well, who everybody thought was just the wrong choice for coach. He had no experience. Nobody knew really what he was going to bring to the game. Obviously a, a brilliant player with a brilliant history from that point of view. But, you know, he's just gone about his business quite quietly, quite serenely. And, you know, he's just built this, the next great Real Madrid team that are already more successful than the Galacticos ever were. No, indeed. And I think a lot of credit has to be given to, to Zidane for that. As you say, there was question marks there and, and people didn't want to believe. But, you know, he has a, a, a wonderful array of players. But when, when you have that dressing room, I think it takes a certain type of character to, you know, and personality to to maintain respect amongst the sort of millionaire superstar players, Laura. He's maybe started off on the on the front foot as far as that's concerned. You know, if you're Zinedine Zidane, you don't need to prove yourself to a bunch of footballers when you walk into a room. He has won practically every trophy there is in the in the trophy cabinet and and you know, there's there's nothing that these players are aspiring to do that he hasn't already done. So from that point of view, he's he's already earned their respect. Um but like you say, he's done excellently to to then transmit ideas of his to them that they have upheld and that seem to have worked and that's just only going to make their respect for him even greater. 
just on that, um, I think when when Benitez left, there was, it was heavily rumoured that the players at all, they they didn't respect him um, because he he'd never played at a level. And obviously Zidane has, so you know they don't have to to sort of think about what what his credentials are. Um, whereas I, I can't remember what Benitez. There was a very sarcastic nickname that I think the the. The, whatever the translation was, I can't remember, but um, that the players had for, for Benitez, um, and 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 then, and then Zidane came in, and it was like, well, this this guy, you know, he's he's been there, he's he's done that um, in in a different way to Benitez, who's obviously won things and 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 done you know some pretty spectacular things as a manager, um, but kind of. Uh, Looks like your dad, basically. He looks a lot like my dad, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I, I want to move on to, to Borussia Dortmund again under new management. You know, I think they started out quite well in the Bundesliga this season, from from what I'm led to believe. I haven't seen any of them this season. Um, you know, obviously we spoke about the, the loss of Dembele, but you know, the, as, as I alluded to as well, they managed to hold on to Obama Yang, and and as long as they remain to do so. Um, in the next 48 hours, and, and there's no real signs of any movement there that I've seen. You would imagine that you, you know the, the Tottenham games with Borussia Dortmund are going to be the key, the total key to this to this group. Even though you know we, we saw Dortmund beating Bar- uh, Real Madrid last season in the Champions League, can you see an upset again, or do you think that Real Madrid have just moved on that level? Uh, I, I don't think I don't think there's going to be I don't see there being any kind of upset as far as the group's concerned if, if you consider that you know Dortmund and Real Madrid are the two considered to go to go through I think Real Madrid are far ahead of any of the other teams in the group having said that um, even though they've lost Dembele uh, Dortmund appear to be you know adopting a slightly different style of football under Peter Boss a kind of more Ajax philosophy, if you like, that he's carried over from his time um, in Amsterdam. And we've got this kind of young, uh, vivacious side that has players, you know, like Rafael Guerrero and, and Piszczek in the wing backs. They've got um, players like Weigel and and, uh, and um, the American kid, I can't remember his name. Pulisic. Uh, Pulisic. In the, yeah, in the middle of the park. Just these, these uh, very sort of dynamic players that, that can kind of overrun you at times and then up front it looks like they're going to be able to hold on to Aubameyang as well. Um so so they look they still look strong. Um I think they I think they'll cause Tottenham more issues than than Tottenham would maybe like to admit. And I, I think I can't see them getting anything other than second place in the in the, the group. Do you think Tottenham got left a little bit behind this season, uh, Ben? With you know, within the transfer market, look, they're obviously a club who are uh, progressive at the moment. They're building a wonderful mm. new stadium. They've treated us uh, the last couple of seasons with a wonderful brand of football at times. Um, you, you know, I, I I love Deli Ali as a player. I love Christian Eriksen as a player. There's some wonderful talents there. That they they added Davis and Sanchez. Uh, they obviously lost Kyle Walker, but made a massive amount of money f- for him. Uh, well, not massive. By comparison to what happened after Neymar, but at the time it was a massive amount of money. But they haven't been very active. They haven't strengthened, no. and, and and it almost feels very stale there at the minute, considering how progressive they are. I mean, before the season started a few weeks ago domestically, uh, I was looking at it, and I think others perhaps were looking at it and thinking, or well, maybe it's to their benefit that they haven't 
brought in a lot of new players because this team is obviously bonded very well and and you know they they didn't ha- you know you could look at it and think well they don't have to adapt um all these new players into into their philosophy and their and their style um but as the first few games and obviously this sort of Wembley hoodoo that does it or doesn't it exist and it appears for whatever reason <laughs> um psychologically um there's this um this sort of thing that's that's in their in their heads about Wembley um but yeah they haven't made the the acquisitions and they didn't necessarily need to make you know loads i think you don't really want to be bringing in more than four or five um players that you want to slot into your sort of your main squad of 16 17 18 players um but but aside from sanchez um there hasn't um been been a great deal of business done there and and you know you might want to point the the finger as as i'm sure people are and perhaps will do if tottenham don't um sort of progress as they did last year at, at, at daniel levy um and he's obviously he's sort of sp- very conservative in that respect and and thinks that this this premier league bubble uh this financial bubble has got to burst at some point which it has that's why it's that's why it's called a bubble um but he thinks it's going to burst a lot sooner perhaps um than than anybody else does now i i can't foresee it bursting in the next four or five years um but the other challenge that that spurs have have got in in the next four or five years is is paying for their new stadium uh, new white hart lane and and as was the situation with arsenal about a decade ago they had to go through well you know a couple of seasons of not spending very much money and then a few more seasons of not being able to to compete financially um uh, against their rivals um and it's whether this and today Tottenham they team... look like they're going to go free fall you know as we stand today um you know they potentially could lose sanchez this window ozil looks up a, a player just devoid of any confidence any will to play for them there's so many ca- contracts running down Arsenal it's, it's a mad situation there and, and Wenger probably going to the end of the season as well who would want to take that on I, I well I think it's probably Thomas Tuchel but I wouldn't want to take it on right now um uh, you know I'd perhaps if 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 I was going to take that job then if, if Arsenal were doing particularly badly uh, around Christmas and perhaps if it was put to me that, um, you know, Wenger was going to be out of the job and there was no expectations for, for the rest of this season other than don't get relegated. And, I, and I'd and i got the rest of the year to sort of have a look at, at the at the squad and, and, and assess that. Then maybe I'd take it then. But um, but it, it's it, it, it's a very bad situation um, that, that Stan Kroenke... Um, and, and Arsene Wenger um, seem to have, have, have backed Arsenal into um, where uh, if, I, if I was a, a, a player for a top European side, I, I don't know why I'd be going to Arsenal. Um, you, you could argue the case for, for Johnny Evans going to Arsenal, but then it would seem that City are in for him as well. So you, you're obviously going to choose City. No, indeed. And, you know, Laura, an interesting question. I'll, I'll pose it to Ben as well. You know, there seems to be a hoodoo around Wembley for for Tottenham, and you know that they're having to face the full season there this season. 
it could be terribly damaging for them, not only in the Champions League, but domestically. And, and we, we've seen that already. You know, they lost to Chelsea, and I think they drew to, uh, with Burnley, I think, at the weekend there. And and it's just not happening for them there. Some are suggesting, you know, a wider pitch and bigger playing area are having an effect on the, on their game plan and so on. But they need to do something, and they need to do something quickly, or else, you know, disaster in the Champions League will be round the corner, and, and the, the league could be gone before they blink their eye. Yeah, uh, for a team that were arguably, even though they didn't win the league, they were probably the best team in the Premier League last season in terms of being so entertaining to watch. They just look like a completely different side. I think the I think the loss of Kyle Walker and the fact that Danny Rose potentially might not even be there by the time the transfer window shuts, they were so integral to the way that they played that it could be a problem. As far as as far as the hood goes, as with anything of this nature, the longer it goes on, the bigger a problem it will become to solve. Um, it's definitely something that, from what I've been hearing um, from various sources, it's it's not just something that's being discussed in the media. It does appear to have got into the, the players' heads and, the, and it does appear to be an issue for them. And like I say, the longer that they are unable to secure a comfortable win in the manner that they used to do at White Hart Lane last season... Um, the, the bigger a problem it will become. I think I heard a stat today that they've already lost more points at home than they lost in the entirety last, of last season. So they, so yeah, so the Wembley thing is just, it's it's one of these things that it's as real as the players want to make it in their heads and certainly it appears to be that way at the moment. The only, the only thing that is going to solve it is if they, the next time they're playing at home, whether it be the Champions League or whether it be domestically, is if they can comfortably beat a team and for, for the fact that they're playing at Wembley to no longer become an issue because right now, every time they're going out on the pitch, they're wondering, is this the day we're going to break the hoodoo or is it just going to continue? And for for the length of time that that's in the back of their minds, it'll just grow and grow and grow. No, indeed it will. And you know, I'll stick with you. I, I'm I'm going for them as they came out of the pot. Um, I, I know there's some people fancying Dortmund to top this group, but I, I see Madrid topping up Dortmund second. I think Tottenham will get the Europa League out of it, and uh, you know, Apoel will come down fourth. What what way do you see it going, Laura? No changes of opinion from me there. Apple are not going to cause anybody any issues. I think Real Madrid, as I said before, are far ahead either Dortmund or Tottenham, and I just think. Tottenham the way they have been playing in comparison to the way Dortmund started their season I think Dortmund will prove too much for them as well so I'm going Real Madrid first Dortmund second and Tottenham third and Ben uh, I'm tempted to to disagree with that just to uh, um, uh, be controversial but I, I can't well top in the group I don't then. think um, <laughs> <laughs> well you know I wanted to sort of uh, be a bit controversial and suggest that Tottenham might sort of soil themselves in some way but I, I just I mean even even if Harry Kane can't score you know I, I think uh, they've just got far too much quality for a team like Applewell um, you know they're sort of streets streets above them they should be able to to beat them in their sleep um, uh, and they're not I could see if it was Arsenal I could see them somehow contriving to lose to Applewell but we're talking about Tottenham and not not the Spursy Tottenham of a few years ago um, so, uh, so I, I think they'll be all right. I think the the only danger is, and, and we have to remember, we are only three games into the season, and you know, this time last year, City won the first ten games, and you know, it's very easy to draw conclusions from three games. But the the risk for Tottenham is that they don't 
uh, stay in the Champions League and they're not in it next year. Although it looks like Arsenal's terrible form should uh, should probably help them on that front. But if they don't, then they're not going to keep Harry Kane and they're not going to keep Deli Ali. I don't think they're going to keep Deli Ali beyond the next two seasons anyway. Um, I think he's destined for for one of the big two in La Liga. Um, but but they want to keep hold of them as long as possible. Um, and uh, and retaining Champions League football will be key to that. I think it's I think it's a big ask for them to be honest with you. Certainly the way it started, and, and I can just see that Wembley just just causing enough banana skins that that, that, that it'll really really affect them this season. And it's yeah. so sad given given what we've seen from them in the last couple of seasons. They've, they've been a joy to watch, but just a bit of fun to round this off. Um, I'm going to see if, how brave you are and if anybody will step away from Real Madrid actually being the, the winners of this come May. Laura, for you, um, who, who do you see as your finalist? Who do you see as winning there? A bit, a bit of crack. Um, well, I think if, even if we're going to step away from Real Madrid being the winners, I still think they will make the final. Um, and I'm going to I'm going to go with that dark horse that we were talking about earlier, and I'm just going to... You know, it's a prediction. What nobody's going to remember at the end of the season. So I'm going to say Napoli to win. <laughs> wow! Wow! And Ben, <laughs> if, if that comes true, just remember that I said that about half an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, I um, just said it first. I just said it first. <laughs> this is actual prediction time. She got in front of you, Ben. Ladies first, you see. <laughs> uh, okay, let's 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 say that I don't know. Real Madrid are, are sort of struck down by us. So let's just remove them off the table completely um, because I don't think you can take them out of a hypothetical. Um, but let's, let's if we're sort of uh, just uh, shooting for the moon and, and Real Madrid weren't there, then I think you've got a Bayern against United final. Wow, that would, <laughs> that would be nostalgic. Uh, well, as long as it doesn't end up the same way hey, if, as '99, if, I, I'd be all if, right with that. If, if Napoli, if Napoli are going to get there, then uh, then, uh, <laughs> then then anything could happen. Hang on, I'm, I'm putting me red tinted spectacles on here. I, I'm I'm going for a Liverpool win. No, no, I'm not. I'll be lucky to, if they if they get out of the group. I, I, that's job done for me. I see Real Madrid and Bayern Munich as the finalists and I just, at this moment in time as I sit today, I couldn't see beyond Real Madrid. I really can't. I just think they're playing football on a different level and it's a joy to watch. It tr- truly is a joy to watch and I just can't see anything different than that. Oh come on, I've just been told I couldn't pick Real Madrid so I went for Napoli and now you're saying you're going to stick with them anyway. No, so, somebody <laughs> somebody decided to take them out of the equation. I think you did that yourself Laura, come on now. You said t- taking them out of the... Co- sadly they're in it, they're the bloody holders, we can't get away from them they're, they're, they're there and, and sadly I think we're, we're stuck with them as, as winners this season and, and I don't think it, stuck with them is a, a very bad uh, use of words really because it'll be a joy to watch them I hope. But listen, we'll just wrap up here. I'll come to you first, Ben, because I know you've you have a pod out, you have a book out, you have lots to plug. Where we can find you on Twitter and so on. Please fire away. Floor's yours. Yep. So you can find me on Twitter at Benjamarkr, which is B E N J A Mark R. Um, you can buy my book on Amazon, Google Play, um, Waterstones um, as an ebook, and you can pre-order it. Um, as a paperback and also buy the ebook a little cheaper from my own website which is polyfootmedia.com uh, and you can use 
a code on there, which is G-A-W-A-10, and that'll get you 10% off uh, for the next week. Well, there you go. I have, I'm nearly finished it, Ben, and I love it. And you don't need to have an interest in Northern Ireland football to appreciate this book. It's absolutely wonderful. Uh, and I wish you every success with it. Laura, yourself, where can we find you? Anything you're writing at the minute, feel, feel free away there to Twitter. Or, Laura, anything you're, you're writing or where we can find you on Twitter, please feel free. Yeah, um, so my own personal blog is at www.thecounterpress.wordpress.com. Um, and I also write for a variety of sites, but anything that I do write, I share on my Twitter, which is at lbrad88. And you can find anything that I um, I write there. Um, and I basically share a lot of work there as well from friends that I've got in the blogging world. So um, if you want to know anything that I'm doing, just catch me on there. Listen, that's fantastic. Just a massive thanks for you both for taking the long time today to discuss this. And hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we can get you back in the future and be, be regulars in this pod. Uh, it's been, it's been a very, very enjoyable conversation. From my own point on WFI, uh, as I say, go and listen to, to Ben's book review podcast there. All our usual pods are there. Just one last massive thanks to you for your time. Been a really interesting chat. And again, thanks to the listener. And until the next European Football Index, and I've even remembered the title of it, it's goodbye. 